Welcome to the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. In the next 30 minutes, I'll bring you up to date on the important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our latest issue. Let's get started. Psychopharmacology and psychotherapy are the primary treatments used in Western psychiatry. However, the effectiveness of these treatments is limited, and they are associated with side effects, particularly when used alone. For example, antipsychotic medications are linked to metabolic side effects, such as weight gain and diabetes. Studies have begun to identify yoga as an acceptable form of exercise to reverse weight gain associated with antipsychotic use, as well as a possible adjunctive therapy for the treatment of major psychiatric disorders. Still, yoga has not been established as an empirically-based adjunct treatment for psychiatric disorders. The authors of our next study conducted a systematic literature review and found 10 randomized controlled trials examining yoga for the adjunctive treatment of psychiatric disorders such as depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and PTSD. They conducted a meta-analysis of these 10 trials to examine the efficacy of yoga therapy as a complementary treatment for major psychiatric disorders. Results from the meta-analysis found that yoga-based interventions had a statistically significant effect as an adjunct treatment for major psychiatric disorders. Of the 10 trials included, eight investigated the effects of yoga on depression and anxiety. One trial examined the effects of yoga on schizophrenia, and one trial examined the effects of yoga on PTSD. The author's findings support the use of yoga as an effective adjunct treatment for major psychiatric disorders. More randomized controlled trials examining yoga for the treatment of schizophrenia and PTSD are needed, and future meta-analyses should investigate the efficacy of yoga therapy across different psychiatric disorders. Also, different types of yoga-based practices and other alternative interventions such as Tai Chi and Qi Kung and dance should be explored. According to some investigators, patient-driven violence in the primary care setting is on the increase. Past studies of patient violence have identified verbal and emotional abuse, as well as physical assault by patients. However, all previous studies of aggressive behaviors by patients have been based on reports by clinicians. In the next study, 397 patient self-reports of their own aggressive behavior in the medical setting were examined. The authors asked a consecutive sample of patients in an internal medicine outpatient clinic about 17 various disruptive behaviors in the medical setting, such as yelling, cursing, and verbally threatening medical personnel or staff. According to their findings, 48.9% of the participants reported at least one disruptive behavior in the medical setting. The most common behavior was talking negatively to family and friends about medical personnel, which was reported by about 40% of participants. In addition, 3.5% of participants endorsed five or more different types of disruptive behavior. 
Surprisingly, 7.1% admitted to threatening to hit medical personnel. The results of this study suggest that disruptive behaviors are relatively common in the medical setting, and a significant minority of patients are willing to physically threaten providers and staff. Given that bipolar disorder is a lifelong illness and is complicated by high comorbidity and risk of poor health outcomes, the role of the primary care physician is vital in improving patients' quality of life. The next study examined the criteria used to diagnose the mood episodes that comprise bipolar disorder, the approach to the differential diagnosis of these presentations, and the currently available evidence-based treatments. The authors searched for evidence-based guidelines for the diagnosis and treatment of adults with bipolar disorder, as well as randomized controlled trials and meta-analyses evaluating strategies to treat resistant depression. Four evidence-based treatment guidelines for bipolar disorder were included in the analysis. The authors found that the recommendations with the most agreement and highest level of clinical evidence were as follows. Mania should be treated with lithium, divalproex, or an atypical antipsychotic medication. Mixed episodes should be treated with divalproex or an atypical antipsychotic. Bipolar depression should be treated with quetiapine, olanzapine-fluoxetine combination, or lamotrigine, and all patients should be offered group or individual psychoeducation. The authors also provide recommendations for therapeutic drug monitoring, which is of particular importance for the primary care physician. The authors conclude that the management of acute mood episodes should focus first on safety, should include psychiatric consultation as soon as possible, and should begin with an evidence-based treatment that may be continued into the maintenance phase. Long-term management should focus on maintenance of euthymia, requires ongoing medication, and may benefit from adjunctive psychotherapy. Integration of mental health services directly into primary care settings has received growing support in the literature. The Department of Veterans Affairs recently integrated mental health services into primary care settings, leading to new treatment options for primary care patients. However, little is known about the effectiveness of these new services in primary care patients with major depressive disorder. In the next study, the authors investigated the effectiveness of a brief easy-to-administer, evidence-based psychotherapy behavioral activation in an integrated mental health and primary care setting in a VA medical center during the first year of the program. 35 veterans with major depressive disorder completed an initial clinical intake, were given the mini-international neuropsychiatric interview, and began a four-week behavioral activation program. Patients also completed the hospital anxiety and depression scale at intake, post-treatment, and at one-month follow-up. 60% of patients completed the brief behavioral activation. Treatment completers demonstrated significant reductions in symptoms of anxiety and depression when compared to pretreatment levels. 
brief behavioral activation psychotherapy for depression was found to be effective in reducing symptoms of depression and anxiety in a VA-integrated primary care setting. The results indicate that clinicians should support and encourage the integration of brief evidence-based psychotherapies into primary care settings. Integration will improve patient mental health outcomes while providing possible reduction in treatment needs and better management of related physical health conditions within the settings that these patients are highly likely to present. Psychoeducation is an essential and promising element in the non-pharmacologic treatment of patients with a psychotic disorder. The next article examined the effects of patient-directed psychoeducation on knowledge and coping. The study included 99 primary care patients with a psychotic disorder who completed a knowledge questionnaire before as well as a knowledge and coping questionnaire halfway through, immediately after, and six months after a 20-session group psychoeducation program. Knowledge increased significantly from the beginning of the program to halfway through the program, even after correction for baseline scores, but not any further thereafter. Coping improved from halfway through the program to the end of the program, also after correction for baseline scores, but not thereafter. Only at six months after the program was knowledge related to coping. There were no differences in knowledge and coping between male and female patients. Halfway through and at the end of the program, the increase in knowledge was significantly lower for patients taking atypical antipsychotic medication than for patients taking typical antipsychotic medication. The results indicate that in patients with a psychotic disorder, psychoeducation results in more knowledge immediately and several months after the program and contributes to better coping only immediately after the program. Patients with more knowledge several months after psychoeducation may be patients who then cope better with the psychotic disorder. Is satisfaction with taking medication associated with clinical outcome and persistence of treatment? In this post hoc analysis, data were analyzed from four randomized placebo-controlled studies of patients with major depressive disorder treated with escitalopram, together with data from two randomized trials of escitalopram versus venlafaxine or duloxetine. The studies were published between 2002 and 2007. Instruments included the Quality of Life Enjoyment and Satisfaction Questionnaire and the Montgomery Asberg Depression Rating Scale. The authors found that a patient's baseline attitude towards antidepressant medication does not seem to influence medication persistence. However, a more positive baseline attitude towards antidepressants results in a better outcome compared to a more negative baseline attitude. The findings also indicate that baseline satisfaction with antidepressant medication is only moderately positive, even in patients enrolled in randomized controlled trials, and only a robust improvement in symptoms seems to make this satisfaction greater. 
The authors recommend taking the patient's attitude into account before initiating treatment. The authors of the next study set out to determine if veterans treated in an integrated mental health program within a Veterans Affairs primary care clinic sustained a long-term improvement in depressive symptoms and changed their use of health care. In this pilot program, 72 veterans were offered short-term treatment for depressive symptoms by a co-located psychiatrist who was integrated into a Veterans Affairs primary care team. Patients were assessed initially and at their final session using the Hamilton Depression Rating Scale. Veterans who completed treatment were referred back to their primary care provider or to specialty mental health services. Patients were contacted and invited to be reevaluated three to five years later using the same measure. Healthcare utilization data were collected for one year pre-intervention and two years post-intervention. Outcomes for treatment completers were compared to those who declined or dropped out of treatment. The authors found that veterans who were treated by mental health provider integrated within a primary care team maintained improvement in their depressive symptoms for approximately three years. Veterans who did not drop out of the treatment increased the number of primary care appointments attended without a significant increase in cost. The results indicate that an integrated model, such as the one presented in this study, can be effective in a primary care population of veterans who are comorbid for anxiety and substance abuse. Next, we invite you to visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to engage in an interactive CME case study from the Banner Alzheimer's Institute. The Banner Alzheimer's Institute Case Conference is a weekly event in which physicians and staff discuss challenging cases of patients seen at the Institute's Memory Disorders Clinic. In this issue of The Companion, we highlight the case of a 69-year-old woman with no prior neuropsychiatric history who presented with a chief complaint of short-term memory loss. Does the patient meet criteria for dementia? Does she have mild cognitive impairment or an underlying psychiatric disorder? What should her treatment plan entail? Answer these and other questions about this patient case and find out how your colleagues who attended the weekly case conference responded in this clinically challenging online offering. For some patients receiving palliative care at the end of their life, befriending may be an important component of their treatment. Sometimes a patient may just need a friend to talk to. In the case presentation from this issue's psychotherapy casebook, an opportunity arose for the psychiatrist providing palliative care to be such a friend to a patient with metastatic cancer. Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to explore how befriending can play a role in every clinical interaction and at times may form the central organizing point of therapy. Have you ever been curious about how serious fainting, swooning, and syncope are or can be? 
Have you wondered whether, when, and how to work up these conditions? Have you ever considered how to best treat a patient with single or multiple episodes of syncope? If you have, then the latest case vignette in our popular series rounds in the General Hospital from Dr. Theodore Stern and colleagues at the Massachusetts General Hospital will help to facilitate the diagnosis, evaluation, and treatment of patients with similar symptoms. Thanks for joining me for this summary of offerings from our current issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com for new postings, the opportunity for continuing medical education credit, and special web-based interactive content.